Patrick Koontz, is there slavery in the United States of America today, ongoing? Yeah, 100%. The concept of abolition, which is, which is now also being used for abortion, is something that you should think of more as a legal reality, and then that legal reality gets enforced than thinking of it as the way that modern people do. You just got rid of something forever. You got rid of some perennial problem, evil, difficulty, trouble forever. So the the thinking that I that people I I mean I think I think they're basically just taught this, and that and that's that's why they think of it this way, but they don't maybe go back and 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 review it or they don't they don't they don't revise their thinking about it is that if you get rid of something in the law or you legalize something conversely right so we legalized abortion right so then think about how people talked about the dobbs decision overturning the necessity of legal abortion in all 50 states was that they said that we were going back in time or something we are going we're going back to a darker time they think that way because modern people of all political persuasions think that they are morally superior to people in the past. Therefore, they're also surprised when they find that a problem that existed in the past, and they think of it as slavery in the United States was you know, put to an end by the American Civil War. Then they're like, what? what's going on? What, what am I looking at? And, and now it has a name trafficking that it didn't really in that time back then but they're shocked to find it because they think that human nature because of laws i'm trying to i think this is dumb but i'm I'm trying to be as clear as possible because of laws human nature has changed and so people won't do the things that they did in the past because of laws rather than thinking of it as laws are there to govern a human nature that is stable for good and for ill it's stable so stable is not stable is not great if you're talking about sin but stable is you can come into contact with it it's real it's there your grandfather was not actually nearly as different from you as you think so this is something that you know i i, I think people are surprised to find they learn about different kinds of trafficking or they're trying to you know this this was a push especially sort of in non-denom churches it still it still is is the idea that we're going to we're going to end human trafficking end blank end cancer all of that thinking is driven by what i think is is magical thinking i think it's very primitive in its way that is that through magically changing words on paper you are changing human nature that's that, to me that's not really different from like Here's my eagle totem, and because of my eagle totem, the next village away will not harm me. Yeah, the uh, the vision statement on the church wall. All right, it it, it yeah, or the name change. Right, every time you come in uh, to fix the place, it's a new name in the evangelical world. I want to push back a, a little bit on the idea that nature changes or man's nature changes. Just so you flush that out. Yeah, um, I think you're getting at like the curb if Lutherans can talk that way, the curb of the law causes man for his own self-interest to change for a time, as long as the law is enforced. And this is, this is what the law by the sword as yeah. human virtue is given by God to yeah. us for. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I believe in actual human change and progress. I believe that at certain periods in a person's life, as well as at certain times in the history of peoples and of civilizations, things are actually better or worse in specific ways that you could see or discuss or notice over time. I, I don't actually think that's that's in doubt. So I'm not I'm not saying nothing ever changes. I'm saying human nature and its potential for evil doesn't change. And so when laws change or when the enforcement of laws changes, what you're dealing with is that nature interacting with a different set of factors. So if we take away the factor, for example, this is something that I'd like to talk about today. 
if we take away the factor of pornography being legal, then people's desire for some of the markets that are served by the forms of trafficking we're talking about will, if not go away, they will shrink to virtual nothingness because that stable human nature for good and for ill, it interacts vastly differently with different laws you could say customs, you could say mores. So not just stuff that would be legally enforced, but things that you are ashamed of or things that you think, you know, if, if I if I keep doing this and somebody finds out, you know, I'm never going to be able to live it down, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to jail or paying a fine or something like that. So when we're talking about human nature being stable, we don't mean that it can't be shaped differently by different laws and and shaping in a way I think is a little it's a little better than talking about curb the way we usually do this is called the first use of the law shaping is is helpful because it doesn't just happen to bad people in catastrophic situations the curb of the law we usually we talk about like if you drive up on the curb well, your airbags are probably going to deploy. You might kill a pedestrian. That's kind of a catastrophic situation. But shaping involves also just your things like your sense of decency, your sense of what is permissible. And then that, you know, there's lots of other things we could say there. But if you're being shaped in a certain way, then some of the worst instincts of your nature are not being developed. In the same way that today, when we talk about education, for a lot of people, the best instincts in their nature are not being developed. <laughs> and the worst are being given free reign. So if you want to go, <laughs> if you want to go study certain things and you're from, you know, the wrong public school district or you are, you don't have access to whatever, you can't. We have a lot less educational and social mobility than we did in the 19th century. At the same time, if you would like to indulge every vice, almost anywhere in the U.S. now, you can. So, <laughs> Mic drop right there. <laughs> I think the, the clumsiness of the curb metaphor is, is just where the metaphor breaks. And you could even get into a debate about third and first use if we wanted to follow that traffic. Ha, ha, ha. But what I'm getting at, I think, is is indeed that the the first use of God's law as his creative act is true. And it and it exterminates evil. It does. A true line is not a bent line. Yeah. And that that impacts humanity at its best in our souls when we engage with each other right that is again in nature even before it's redeemed again in right. nature then it is sinful so it needs to be redeemed right but you can see the true line at times right and then so you can even have you know a pagan king who makes really good decisions it's, it's possible you know and he could be a terrible person in his home life at the same time you know is that complex right and we sit here and we want to know it all or, or speak about it all but what we're trying to drive at, what I think you're trying to drive at here, is that we have entered into a season where, this is so so key what you said at the end, I'm just going to quote you, you know, the worst instincts are being inflamed as, quote, education. <laughs> and the best instincts are, instincts are being suppressed as education. Yeah, and it's right. going to form barbaric people. That's just going to do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it it already it already has, has. has to, to, yes. the, to the extent that, you know, we've mentioned this this example before about, you know, they they swear on the HBO Western Deadwood because no one actually believed the way that people spoke, even hard bitten people on illegally settled land in 1876 spoke. So they had to substitute vocabulary. They were they were generally not using. Yeah. What, something in so, it. What yeah, so that's that's an example where obviously you're dealing with okay, this has gotten worse. Or a word that I that I usually hear people talking about because they don't they don't want to say, and it isn't realistic to say that the forms of vice that were being that were manifested in 1950s America are actually somehow identical, just hidden to what is going on today. What we're saying is that the way that people both 
expect to be treated and the way that they are trained to treat others does actually make daily life as well as people's personal struggles, difficulties, desire to suppress sin, the ways that they have to fight with sin, those are all shaped differently when you have been shaped differently. So that, that's that's why sometimes you can watch a movie from the 50s or you could read a book from the 1920s and it's a little hard for you to understand what is going on because the person's sense of shame or the person's sense of purpose, think about how Jane Austen novels aim at marriage, not a career, not you know, traveling to Japan whenever you want to, marriage, that's, that's all we could say in this way, first use or shaping stuff. And that also means that when those ways that people are shaped are taken away and others are replaced, that what happens is the, the human nature then just expresses itself vastly differently mm-hmm. in a way that now people will say, oh, this has all become more open. I, I don't, I understand what they mean by that. That is that people are lacking in shame about their vice or they're lacking in shame about their obvious, we would call it sin. They might call it dysfunction. So, so it's, it's right there. Yeah. But the other thing that's happened there is not just that it's more open. It's that it wasn't there in any kind of developed way 45 years ago. That's, you, you see how that's different. It, it, I'm not saying that this plant couldn't have grown here before. I'm saying we used to rip it out by the roots or we used to nip it in the bud so that we just never saw a form like this before. Yeah. Right? And now we're letting it grow. So now we're seeing things we haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah, and you're speaking to you know Western Civ as a whole, not just to the, the LCMS, right? You're, we're, we're talking yeah. about a much, much bigger idea here. Uh, that that there is a time we are in. We are in a time where there is no shame yeah. for many people. I know a lot of my listeners in my world, people who follow me, we're wrestling with shame. That's why we like Luther because he gives us a pure gospel. Uh, but for many people out there, we have to. You, you must acknowledge you're not like everybody else. Not everyone else like you. There's a lot of shamelessness out there and they may have shames about their own things. I mean, they're going to wrestle with how yeah. the devil's in their life, but they are going to do things unashamedly that you would not even believe. And that makes a world in which there is no honor either. No shame, no honor. If there's nothing that I should not do, there is nothing valuable to do except for, and here's the thing. And, and this is what you're driving at too. I think from the start here, self-organizing selfishness which will react to incentive. Yeah. You know, when when a group of sinners are together, the only thing they have to keep them going is organized selfishness. And for their own good, they will do it and it will be a matter of incentive for what myself wants. And it does form. It can take orderly function. It can yeah. learn to be right. true yeah. to achieve great evil. Yeah? I, yeah, because you're dealing with a human nature that will have the same forms that are available to it, regardless of the purpose, the goal, so that there will be among a group of people some kind of some kind of moral code. It will not necessarily be aligned at all with truth, but it will be there, right? So this is where I just just give you an example, right? You have a you have a shamelessness surrounding talking to mainstream journalists about how and why you want to turn your son into a girl. And you can go find lots of articles about this right now as we record on January 25th concerning the outlawing of, quote, gender-affirming care in Ohio because Ohio's legislature overrode their governor who vetoed this bill. Lots of people in these various articles with their with their children, with their, quote, new names. And what's going on there is the the parent is can be celebrated, can be, in fact, himself a victim, which, as we know, in our moral hierarchy publicly is is very prestigious. So there's an order here. There's a hierarchy here. 
this person is morally superior to the person whose children are just boys or girls the way that they've always been. When that person speaks, therefore, that moral code now has to be enforced and you will then describe in sort of high school movie terms, such a bill as, quote, bullying trans kids. You can see here there's there's a moral hierarchy. Some people are pure. Some people are not. Some people are wise. Some people are foolish. Some people are evil. Some people are good. What happens when Satan confuses human beings is that God's order gets replicated but rearranged as if you had all the same pieces, but that because they are now put together differently, you have a completely different purpose. It's obviously evil instead of good, but there's because Satan is not actually creative, he has to work with what he has. Yeah. It is God's order in chaos. Right. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Right. So let's get to the nuts and bolts here. Yeah. Because it is on my agenda for 2024 to stop sitting on my hands with the tools at my disposal. Not that I always do that, but I haven't always taken the shot that I should maybe. Yeah. And so we have a good platform here, you and I, and it's expanding. We've got new voices. There's a lot of, of value in a rising tide lifting all the ships around. And so here, here's the ship I want to lift, right? Let's talk local action. Let's talk your men's group. Let's talk your congregation's purpose. Let's talk pro-life. Let's talk sex slave trafficking going through your back door. I learned Rockford's like on the on the highway. So I'm definitely interested in what we can know is real, what we can know is being done about it by people who believe in truth and how we can add our voice and or our hands to the action to put slavery of 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 the worst kind okay uh, i mean yeah yeah not so, to end, but you know just to stop it to press it back to cut it off right i want to cut off these buds how do we do that how do we begin you you if you're trying to cut off any kind of traffic whether you're talking about drugs or people or whatever it is that you're trying to to stop you always have to you have, you have to start with brute enforcement of prohibition so you have to stop the flow first i i think that this is something when we talk about drugs in the united states often if somebody is against the idea of intervening in where wherever the source may be whether it whether it was colombia or whether it's china today or whatever is that we focus on cutting off you know Cutting it off at the source doesn't take away the demand that's in the United States for whatever drug. That's true. But if you don't prevent the flow, you don't even have to say, I'm going to go into China or Afghanistan or Colombia and cut off the flow of this thing that I don't want. You could say it can flow out of there, but it can't flow into here. That's actually a lot easier to do. It's always obviously easier to exercise sovereignty within your own sphere rather than having to take it or share it with somebody else. We're not doing borders. Yeah. Borders, I mean, yeah. And we're not doing that with human beings. So the idea that, that a, that a group has borders, which was of course during COVID was completely uncontroversial, right? I'm going to go to Canada in May. I, I couldn't have done that a couple of years ago completely uncontroversial that there's that there's a hard border and that it will be enforced. I mean, if you if you look for instance at the US Canada border, which is not the one most people are worried about, although for the purposes of what you're talking about, it matters just as much. Yeah. There there are kind of two big dates when that border was hardest and most closed, and those are the War of 1812 when we were fighting each other and COVID. Okay? So the last time we we were trying to kill each other and then COVID. So the idea that we can't or we don't have enforcement of borders, we can't or we don't prevent the flow of people anywhere is, is obviously disingenuous. And the reason for borders in kind of a 10,000 foot view here is that life is a limited reality. 
it's not an unlimited reality. I think a lot of people think that you can have infinity immigration because they think that, at least implicitly, the United States is an unlimited resource. It's easier to see the problems with something like uncontrolled immigration or a lack of borders, which is a lack of the exercise of sovereignty. If you look at smaller smaller realms. So you say, I'm not going to look at the entire US-Mexico border. I'm going to look at this specific town in Arizona, or I'm going to look at this specific checkpoint in Texas or whatever, and say, what is it like once they get here? Are we, can, can we actually accommodate these people? Canada is at more of a breaking point on a national level than we are right now, but we are too on a local level. And, and we see that where I live, very obviously, we simply can't accommodate. So I, I think that in addition to the magical thinking that human nature has changed and suddenly, you know, vastly different peoples from all over the world for the first time in human history will be in perpetual peace with each other and we'll all shop at Target together. So that itself is kind of magical. In addition, there's the magical idea that a society is there to provide and can provide unlimited help to everyone from everywhere. It, it, just, it just can't be true because life is a matter of limits. Life is possible within limits. Life is impossible outside those limits. I can't grow palm trees in New Hampshire. Okay. So the idea that we can accommodate endless flow, obviously, is it, it's not true. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't accommodate endless flow in 2020 and 2021 in the United States. But if I want to stop any kind of trafficking, including human trafficking, I, ha I have to start there. Mm -hmm. I have to start with, with being able to stop the flow of human beings into us into the United States or into wherever I'm, I'm trying yeah, right. to stop. Which is, which is clearly too big for my backyard. So let me rephrase my question. And I mean, I love what you did there. And what I did right before it, like the last thing I said, and my question was the exact thing you had just taught us all not to do, which is say, let's put an end to blah, you know, X. <laughs> let's put an end to X. <laughs> um, uh, how about what I'm about more is I want to say one more, right? While this ridiculous reality of a global proportion of can, South Park called it, by the way, blame Canada, by the way, uh, while this is going on, there's real people going through my town and I met one and she's in the wind now. What, you know, I want to know more about the reality of it. I want to know again, who is doing something about this? Uh, I was in Fort Wayne last weekend for the annual symposium and someone on this kind of topic train, I uh, mentioned destiny rescue. Uh, which I have yet to go search more on, but I plan to. I don't know if you know about them. No. And again, and I know you've looked into uh, a little more detail, so I want some of the the, the meat here now okay. from your research. Yeah. So the the detail is that when you're talking about human trafficking, you're kind of implicitly talking about sex trafficking. When you're not, the the exceptions to that or the the minority share of that that is not explicitly for a, that kind of abuse of a human being is you're, you're talking about maybe something like essentially like domestic slavery. So mm -hmm. cases like this will pop up every so often in a, you know, an obscure suburb of Los Angeles that some, some couple they're, they're generally, they're, they're generally themselves immigrants and they're bringing a custom of, we have this person from a lower caste in India or whatever, and they are our slave. <laughs> and they were <laughs> and they and they were over there and now they are over here. Yeah. The vast majority of it is gonna flow through our borders, but also through our airports. So when you're thinking about when you're thinking about stopping flow, you also have to think about air traffic, not just people walking over the southern border or coming in containers from China into San Francisco or Long Beach. But you're you're looking at something that is going to be overwhelmingly female. And when when large numbers of men are coming 
disproportionately, probably you're going to have a military problem on your hands. Mm-hmm. When large numbers of women are coming disproportionately, you have a you have a you have a marriage problem on your hands, or you have a sexual problem on your hands. There, this has happened before in American history. The best example is basically what San Francisco's Chinatown was. Okay, so if you want to understand how this was broken, the the first thing that you're dealing with when you're dealing with sex trafficking in the United States is is therefore, and I'm I'm talking about the majority here, and then I can talk about the minority of it, which involves native-born children. But the majority of it, you're going to have first a a giant cultural and linguistic barrier that you have to figure out how to cross. So whether that is speaking to them in whatever it is that they speak, Cantonese, Spanish, whatever that you you got to start there. And that was that was actually a giant problem in stopping Chinatown in San Francisco, which was essentially for gambling and for this goes along with it, prostitution. Once that barrier is crossed, now you can begin to gain the trust of people. Here's what's difficult about modern America. Everything is happening faster. Your city is a whatever it is on the road to wherever else. And people are moving quickly through such places, right? This is this is kind of a remarkable thing is that you can go find somebody who was in Venezuela two months ago, and now he's in like, you know, whatever, Laramie, Wyoming. There was some guy who was like in a prison for being a terrorist, right? And now he's like just crossed the border, I saw. Did you see that one? <laughs> I, I, I did not. Oh, identified by picture. He's there's a video of him, guys. Someone go look for it if you don't believe me. He says, "You will soon know who I am." Into the camera, and I saw that. And a day later, it's like he's this guy. Whatever, it's all a plant. It's all an op. They're trying to trick me. You, you tell me the truth, Doctor. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't. I don't know on that one. But it's like there is a great difficulty here in the mobility that people have. Yeah. When we were trying to stop prostitution in Chinatown, or the British first, and then the American Navy was engaged in stopping the West African slave trade. East African slave trade just continued into modernity, as far as we understand, flowing out of Africa into into Arabia. But the westward going stuff, when the British and the Americans were trying to stop it, that that relied on on essentially their ability to blockade. It's really hard to blockade somebody on an American interstate which is the way that a lot of this is going to work, or it's hard to blockade somebody on an international flight who then essentially disappears into the United States. So when you're thinking about, okay, what could I do to begin to stop this? You would want to look at the way that there's interdiction or not, and then press for more interdiction or people who are going to make that happen I'm a little pessimistic about it, but that that would be where you would start because you have to start on a personal level. You could say, well, I'm going to learn Spanish so that I can talk to these people. But who who knows? Who knows who they are? The entire world is currently coming here by all sorts of means. Who knows who they are? If I want to start to stop it, I have to be able to stop the flow of human beings. I mean, there there is no other way because otherwise the reason that human mobility equals human vice is because people seize opportunities like that in order to make enormous amounts of money. And you can make enormous amounts of money generally off of people's greatest vices. So you can make a certain amount of money off gluttony. You can make a lot more money off sex, a lot more money. So if that opportunity is there then it's going to be happening. So in the sex slave trade and the connection to pornography also though, right? That, that, that this is where much of the the online clickbait really is and, and really goes for many, many people, man, woman, and child. That reality is there. Behind and further underneath those things are involvements potentially with yeah. uh, American government agencies, uh, involvements with various groups of churches of 
Satan and things. Uh, you know, you can really you go down the rabbit hole and and you find that the real other side of of pornography isn't a movie, right? And it's certainly not not just in Hollywood. And then and then that that rabbit hole gets even worse when you when you just have to know that yeah, this may not be the majority, but but that there are children involved in this. Yeah. So this is something that if you go back to one of the biggest changes in American history in the past 50 years was the the shift from mother mothers as quote childcare, a word people didn't even use, to childcare essentially becoming a market phenomenon. Okay. So daycares, preschools, stuff like that. In addition to that, and we're, this is where I think the early 1970s are one of the most important watersheds for understanding what is happening today. In addition to that shift, you also get a shift to an explosion in variety of family types. Here's a child being raised by his grandma who was divorced from his grandpa and his mom was never married to his dad. So in 2024, you could find plenty of kids like that throughout the United States. In 1974, it's going to be harder, but that's what's picking up. You'll find that not coincidentally during that time, okay, so this is in terms of the government and people's understanding of the government or trust in the government, it has more or less been declining since that time. But but all forms of trust have declined since that time. I mean, in 1974, a 12 year old could probably still hitchhike. And it people didn't think it was that weird. And he probably wouldn't be hurt. And 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 depending on where you lived, you you who are listening to the show may or may not have grown up with unlocked doors. Right. So it's interesting to note then that what has been described as a moral panic about things being done to children, that those have increased exponentially since that time. There were, there were worries, and there was specifically an act that you can go look up called the Man Act, M-A-N-N, it's a last name, not a not a description of mankind. The Man Act, I believe that's 1910, that forbids what was called at that time white slavery, it, essentially meaning the traffic of you know America's of like 90% white country at the time. So they're so they're saying the traffic of children. That's what that's what they really mean, especially girls, is forbidden by the Man Act. So they're worried about that in 1910. I, I don't really think coincidentally also in 1910, we have enormous flows of human beings into the United States. So anytime that you have that, you're going to have, this is going to pick up too, because you just, you don't know exactly who you're dealing with. So, okay. So there's that, but what's happening in the last 50 years is that as trust has declined and families have changed in their shape, of course, you're going to have this issue that you know, sounds sounds weird if you've never looked into it before, but it's just the seemingly rather enormous number of missing children, right? Yeah. You're talking about dozens of thousands nationwide at any given time. Where are they? What? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But how does a child go missing? Right? Because what's weird about a child going missing is there has to be a certain incredible amount of depravity to take the child. And on the other side, there has to be neglect, a, a, a kind of neglect that is, uh, that is unthinkable. Yes. Yep. But that has, that has, that has picked up and, and the significance of look, you, you, like here's, here's one that was denoted as a, this is a moral panic. Everyone was acquitted. There's nothing to see here was the McMartin preschool case. I don't think that when that comes up in the late 70s and early 80s, it's it's accidental that that is in basically our most advanced version of America in all sorts of ways. That's why I, I think it's key for understanding what's going on, which is California, and that it is connected through various personnel to the United States government 
why would it be connected to the United States government? The other thing to look into opposite side of the country in that regard would be what are called the finders from the 1980s, where children are discovered in various places along essentially the I-95 corridor, which is basically all the settled parts of the East Coast from Portland, Maine down to, I think it goes all the way to Miami, if I'm correct. And you're, you're finding children are just kind of wandering around by themselves, not in a not in a Huck Finn kind of a way, right? Go go read Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. I mean, that was that child trafficking? Was, was Jim engaged in child trafficking? No, they were. But you could also see that somebody like Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer can just kind of wander around and adults will help them. <laughs> so you're not dealing. It, it's not that human nature was so much better in the 1840s, but the curbs on human nature, the shape, that human nature had been put into in the 1840s was was different. Yeah. If you find children wandering around in parking lots in places like Jacksonville, Florida, or Arlington, Virginia in the 1980s, and they look neglected, they look abandoned, the children are disproportionately blonde and blue-eyed, but not related to each other, then you're dealing with something that, it, I mean... You kind of lack words for it. You do. You because, do. Because all, all, I mean, and it's, it's interesting when the, when the father gets the prodigal son back, the, the two ways that he describes to the older brother, that he describes his life, the, the son's life before he came home was that he was dead and that he was lost. And I generally think it's better, not just because this is a family show, there, there are nice kids who are doing their their handwriting assignments. But while listening to this, I, I, I've met them. But it's also that I think I think it's better when you're talking about great evil to to speak as the father does there. In one sense, metaphorically, he was dead, huh. and and in another sense, literally, and it it. it it's poignant, but it doesn't it doesn't say too much and that he was lost. Because when you're when you're talking about the reason they were called the finders, and you can look into them and they, they do have they are connected on a personal level to the Central Intelligence Agency in that case. So this is this is not a matter of conjecture. This is not me saying, you know, I I I just don't trust the ATF. <laughs> okay. All of that would be true, yeah, but I it mean, would... for for the homeschool high schooler, let me just yeah. tell you, there's plenty to dig on in this. Yeah. Uh, is the the CIA's control of Candy Brown, Candace Brown, it'd be a good one to start with, something like that. Um, there's enough independent research that's going on into this that you can find out more than you want to know. Right. No. And the reason they're called the finders is not because they were discovered. They're called the finders because they would play they there was a there was a game master who was essentially the leader of whatever this was who was obviously an adult man and they would play games where they would find each other or they would be found mm. and the group had other adults in kind of weird configurations but it was you know it it was configured and and this is a this is a fable and i think Evils like this are often put into fairy tales for the understanding of children, but also for their power, is that the Pied Piper of Hamelin is, is a fable about a man leading children to destruction. With music. So that it so that if I know the story, then I'm not I don't I don't I don't need to know more than that. Right. Right. If you believe the story reflects reality and is true and is not right. just some fantasy for fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the 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 government connection to me is an important thread. Uh maybe the most important if we're going to say something like the only way this changes is borders, right? Well then then obviously <laughs> if there is a civil war between versions of our state going on, which we've suggested in the last two episodes that we've done, uh this is happening or is going to happen. Yeah. Um well then then we have to really come to terms with who are the operating agents here, yeah. uh, agencies, and okay. you know, what, what are their purposes and how can we be part of local communities that are not infiltrated 
by them without knowing it. And really, so that we might pray. I, yeah. I, that's where this all goes for me, so that I might pray. There is a building uh, in, in Rockford that is a federal courthouse, but there are always, uh, I'm told by a retired FBI agent who lives in Rockford, there's always 12 FBI agents in Rockford at, at all times. And you know the connections that these things all gradually start to come together on, again, I, I want my prayers to be as accurate as possible. That's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, and I, I would start with uh, an idea that it's a it's a political science term, but I think it's helpful. It's called subsidiarity. Subsidiarity, meaning that things should be done at the lowest possible level that they can. And so th this is, I mean, this this is the dispute in addition to the dispute about the law and the meaning of the Constitution, but this is essentially the dispute between Texas and the United States right now, which is Texas is saying this has to happen. We, we can't live the way that we're living, so we will do it because we, we are physically capable of doing it. Constitutionally you, capable too. I mean, really, yeah, they, I they got all of it, you know? I agree with that. I think, I think even if you think it's constitutionally illegal, the principle of subsidiarity says it's stupid to assign things to a higher level than, than can effectively do it. Do it. Yeah. Amen. There is such thing. There is such a thing as below your pay grade in a sense. Right. That's not just above your pay grade, but you're actually you're too far away or you're too high up to really do this. Yeah. And when you're talking about local authorities, you you want them not to have their hands tied, particularly by the way that local authorities have come to be dependent financially, institutionally, as to the training they receive, and practically by a higher level that can't or won't do the right thing okay but yes we are talking about government and even if a local level is doing its job that doesn't mean that a level at, at a regional state federal authority is not going to forbid it try to stop it the reason being that what we are experiencing is not only it's kind of like we're getting it all at once we're we're experiencing, I think, to the least degree, honestly, a breakdown of the estate of the church. I actually think that's probably in better shape in some ways than any of the other estates. We're obviously facing a breakdown of the family. That's what I mentioned as far as declining trust, lots of missing kids, etc. We're also simultaneously facing a breakdown of the state. That is that basic governmental issues such as is there enforcement of law? What is the purpose of the government? Does the government see itself as hostile to large segments of its own population at any given time? Those kinds of just really basic questions that if they were in a family like, wow, this dad hates his kids <laughs> or he hates three of his four kids. It's like, wow, that's pretty weird. You know, I wonder how this is going to play out. If you're experiencing those kind of breakdowns, you the the stakes are very high because the government of all of the orders of creation is probably actually has the least to do in a general sense and historically governments just didn't do most of the things that they do today this is not a argument for libertarianism it's just a historical observation they weren't able to be in control or to do or to or to pay for or lots of things that they do if it has maybe the least to do by nature. It's going to reward goodness and it's going to punish wickedness. Could take all kinds of forms. If it has the least to do, it it also, because it has a killing capacity, hmm. is the most harmful when it goes south. Because if this guy, if this other guy's family is really screwed up, yes, that does affect me. And and the idea that somehow Decisions about marriage can be purely private decisions, whether it's your purely private traditional Lutheran marriage or it's your purely private gay marriage. It That's never private. The other guy's screwed up family is actually my concern. But yeah, if you got neighbors, yeah, you know what the yard looks like. But there's only so much that his screwed up family can do to harm my family. Is it raising the taxes now that I have to essentially pay for his kids to grow up? Yes, it is. But, okay, 
if if somebody who can kill other people in a collective capacity is going south, now that's a much bigger concern. Much bigger. Absolutely. So I, I think that you you want to begin to think not just about what is going on or or why do we have all of these different agencies and nobody's sure where the money comes from or what they are or what they're going to do. Yes, that's its own issue. But you also have to realize that when Paul is talking about the warfare, specifically that the church wages, he says it's not against flesh and blood. So there's only a certain amount that I can achieve in an earthly sense by getting rid of somebody connected to the McMartin preschool case like Colonel Michael Aquino. In a spiritual sense, which is also which is the terrain on which all of these different battles in church and family and state take place, you need to notice that when demonic things are described, they are usually associated not just with fallen angels, but with fallen angels in positions of power. So it, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities that there is something demonic individually about somebody who has now become addicted to drugs and is willing to kill other people made in the image of God to obtain them. Yes, that is demonic. But think about the power of the demonic when it enters into when it enters into positions of great authority. And this is where to me I, I see I see the trafficking question as downstream from what I see as essentially the human sacrifice question, which is the way that I think about abortion. Abortion Amen. abortion is a replication of something that went on in ancient America, especially in the Mississippi River Valley. And then we're more familiar with it in, in terms of Mexico with the Aztecs. But something you you should notice about any society that practices human sacrifice on a large scale, on a ritualized scale, is that it always has a certain configuration where many, where the many serve the few at the top who hold the keys to that system of blessing and curse connected to those sacrifices. And, and if that's what we're doing, and, and not coincidentally, we're also doing that legally, as it were. We're, we're shaping things towards that end of human sacrifice since 1973, is that we are dealing with a reality that is much, like all spiritual things, it's deeper than I can say. I can use some words, but it's deeper than I can say. So it's deeper than I can say to talk about, well, this person was rescued from, from being trafficked right? And, and now she has this kind of a life and this is very beautiful, right? Because when somebody's life changes radically for the good, there's always kind of a beauty about it that is, that is beyond expression. Similarly, when I'm talking about the system of human sacrifice, ritualized human sacrifice, the priests and priestesses of that system, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a reality which is much, much, much greater than anyone can say, and the destruction of which is therefore much greater than anyone can say. And you will notice that part of that the judgment on the Canaanites, who are who are run out of their land, right? Who are just run out of their land. So your your land, your country can be taken away from you as a judgment of God. The judgment on the Canaanites is not random or arbitrary. It's not just like, go kill this random group of people, Israelites. They are practitioners of human sacrifice, which is therefore forbidden to the Israelites because it was the reason that the Canaanites were destroyed from their land because they practiced this kind of sacrifice. The Aztecs destroyed from their land, the people that ran what is now called Cahokia in Southern Illinois across from St. Louis destroyed from their land, replaced by others, okay? So you're dealing with a situation where you are, you shouldn't be surprised to find it in the government. You shouldn't be surprised to find it along with all kinds of other decline. And you shouldn't be surprised to find it along with God's judgment on all of those things because you can't, you can't do this forever. But I see, I see trafficking as a subset of that general system because also, 
the children who would be born in all of these situations are not being born. And the system of sacrifice helps that to be true too. So they're, they're very much interrelated. So is this, is this the final beast? I think that the, the, the abolition of abortion is it, that, that is, that is a piece to, that is a much bigger piece to the puzzle than we have, than we have maybe understood. Yeah. I'm with you. Because, because the idea that, that children can be killed is such a fundamental perversion of the estates of the state because children are not guilty of wickedness. Right. So yep. the idea that with state sanction and even with state encouragement that they are being murdered, but it's also obviously it, it is the most severe perversion of the family that the family is meant to produce children, right? It is there to, to give rise to children. And instead, in what should be a, 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 the, the act and the essence of the family, that instead children are, are murdered. So that, that kind of severe perversion is, is what Satan does, right? He, do, he likes to do completely upside down, right? He wants God to worship him. So if you can, if you can expunge particularly severe forms of perversion that has, and spiritual things are like this, that they, they sort of bleed into each other or they grow mm. fruit wise, yeah, right? Yeah. They're not, right. it's not just like one thing. Like right. if you, if you cut off one thing, then a lot of other things change. It's like an ecosystem yeah. that this is the, this is the key to this ecosystem of death. It's never too late for Josiah's reformation. It's never too late for us to repent and do the right thing, the true thing. I like this word true today a lot, yeah. not just in terms of my own thinking, but the right. way I would draw a straight line, right? Things that are true make things that are true, right? And that's that's the battle we get to be in. And for my question again, yeah. the how close are we? Is this really as bad as it can get? I mean, you you just did the whole, we're the Canaanites, but we're also Sodom and Gomorrah, like at the same time, waving rainbows at the sky as we do this. Like yeah. how much can we do it in his face before he does something? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's no, there's no way to answer that in a, in a chronological way because, because the time, because repentance never has a timer. Mm -hmm. The time to repent is always right now. Yes. So because otherwise what you're doing is you are you are you are trying to prey upon you're you're playing an impossible game. You're trying to to prey upon God's kindness. But God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. If you have more chronological time, it's because you now have more time to repent. The the fact that the world is being prolonged a single second or that this show would be recorded and then released is is part of God's kindness that you have time you, you have a little bit more time because then time gets cut off. It gets cut off by death. It gets cut off by judgment. And then, and then there is no more time. So the idea that, you know, okay, well, can it get worse? Conceivably? Yes, it can always get worse. If you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, you have essentially, I mean, a, a similar scenario would be I'm in a hotel room and somebody walks into my you know, whatever Holiday Inn Express and and asks me for the things that the men of Sodom ask for from a, you know, from a guy who, you know, I'm hanging out in the, in the lobby with him or something. I mean, it's it's sort of completely insane. So yes, it could get worse. But the idea that I need to wait for that to change or I need to wait for it, I mean, that that's what's silly because the time to repent is always now. Yeah, yeah. The day is today. Yeah, and worse for me versus versus worse for them too. I think it, it, my question again is like, so Sodom and Gomorrah are, are cities, you know. So we got San Francisco, we got New York, we got DC. You know, we got we concentrated evils, and yeah. and there are neighborhoods in those cities where what you described could happen to you. Like you shouldn't have gone to that bar, dude. Shouldn't have gone yeah. to that bar, you know. And so like it's it's not like it's not here. And what I what I don't know and I can't know, I'm not really asking you to say, is is this the final game? Is it really over? Is this is Jesus about to wrap it up? I I personally don't feel that way. I feel like 
we're in Josiah's time. Like the end is coming to be sure. And, and but let's have a good let's have a good hearty repentance and try to raise our children, right? <laughs> and and how long does Judah hang on? You know, the church talking about the church as an estate collapsing. Yes, it sure seems to be. What does that mean? Jesus is going to figure it out for us. Clearly, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, pretty important, right? But but the, the church is the assembly that stands upon Jesus' history, right? His history as man in time. And we are reflecting the Old Testament peoples. The way that the church was born on Pentecost is a lot like the anointing of David, yeah? and. And it is, it's actually better. It's the fulfillment of it for everyone, not just one family, not just one group of people, for everyone. Hey, be baptized. You're in the kingdom now. And then you watch the history of the church and, and you know, you see the two kingdoms that split, you know, and then you see the tribes doing their thing, becoming different. And I don't mean to say that every doctrinal battle of the 15th century didn't matter. No, no, tribes can be wrong. <laughs> and end up a lot more like the Philistines than you know the other tribes and all this, right? Um, so th those those things matter. But to see the times that we're in right now as so like that diaspora, and, and it isn't just about your church body or your tradition. It really is about your congregation in the city that it's in, with the neighborhood that it has, and and that this that you know gives you great hope. I think if you then see yourself as transplants to Babylon, see yourself as building the ark, getting off the ark, right? Both those things at the same time. All of this, not metaphor, but what happened before and is fulfilled in Christ is now what you are a member of. And you get to just be it here. And I'd like to think it's a good enough planet still, the, the tree is still green enough that the right law, which Dr. Kuntz, I think you're you're quite in pointing out is the right sword, that the right sword would be used to bring peace and good days. I would like to think that my lineage might have four or five or seven generations of children in it who are Christian before uh, the, the tree is cut off. So those are my prayers again, right? This yeah. is the way that I approach this in, in piety and so forth. Uh, we're, we're getting close to here on time. How do you want to try to close this one up today? When you're thinking about the history of Judah, it's always helpful to remember that fundamental flaws that were that were there back when it was so-called the United Monarchy are what lay out over time. So that you're dealing with things without the knowledge of history, you you would actually have no idea they were there. You you don't understand yourself, and this is where a certain, let's say, rootlessness or lack of understanding of one's ancestors, specifically in one's own family, but also where this place came from that you now live in, is going to blind you to the particular dangers of what you face, both both in yourself and with other people. So if you if you look at the nature of polygamy, in the history of Israel's monarchy, it is what leads them not only to idolatry, but also to what are kind of garden variety political problems, even just among David's sons. So that there, there's sort of always splits in Israel mm. over these issues of family and the sin manifested first in the family and then in the state. So if we're talking about changing them or going back on them, you have to be able to think with clarity and particularity about what actually went wrong. It, it, it's, mu it's actually much easier to say, <laughs> which you'll notice that kind of a bizarro version of this show is, is something like the True Anon podcast, although they, they go more into, strictly speaking, various conspiracies. Are they true? Or are they not? And it, but it's on the left because you'll notice that thinking conspiratorially, and it doesn't mean that there are never any conspiracies anywhere ever, but thinking conspiratorially is of course easier than repentance because it, it can always outsource the problem. So if you just get rid of 
X or Y or Z federal agency, then the problem will be fixed. And it, it's not that I support the existence of a permanent intelligence establishment. I, I see it as a key part of American self-destruction, okay, to be clear. But <laughs> but it's not actually repentance to to abolish those things. What would repentance look like? What would actual repentance like? actual repentance involves Josiah saying it has been our fault. Mm. It has been the king's fault. Not just that most of the tribes have never supported Judah the way they should. And they do engage in conspiracies against Judah at various times. That's all true. But if Judah doesn't accept responsibility the way he offers to, for instance, you know, die for Benjamin's sake when Joseph is asking for Benjamin, if Judah doesn't accept responsibility, then nobody is saved in the state or the family. And it's the same way, obviously, with Christ, the Lion of Judah. That is Judah accepting responsibility for everybody. Amen. So it's a key part of repentance that you don't repent for somebody else and say, look, we're gonna we're gonna reverse the National Security Act of 1947 and we're gonna it's gonna be America again. You you can't you can't do what needs to be done without repentance. Right. And that's where then to me the prayers against the wicked and the psalter that I, I remember so vividly, even at seminary, how long ago was it? Not that long. The, the days in which people wondered what they're even for. Why do we have these things? Yeah, right. You don't have enemies. Those are to ask Jesus to tear down the wicked ruler and put one who is true in his place. And yeah. I believe those prayers are more important than political action committees or than voting as Christians. I don't say don't vote. I only say the prayers are why you would vote. And to pursue that now as a Christian is not to walk a dark road of of expecting things to get worse. It is to walk a road of expecting salvation in the midst of the darkness yeah. uh, for his Christians, right? For, for your life, for your family, for your people. And that salvation will at times be human in a very real narrow way like there's a fight now we forgive each other we are saved from it right it, it can be that and it's all the way up to you know you, you you say that prayer in that dark moment and the answer is there you know jesus jesus saves you from whatever it was whatever terror you found and that is what it is to call upon him especially with these conspiracy theories i mean goodness gracious well if, if you're not praying about the people who you think are like going to destroy the world if you're not going to the psalter and like psalm 55 everybody use it you know uh thinking of their names while you're there i i don't know i don't know what you think you're going to do writing in discord about how we're going to fix it you know i just don't see how we do anything else except for sit in a corner not with dust on our heads but with certainty that our prayers will be answered and that that scepter of wickedness will not will not long rest on on the land of the righteous and we we have to be righteous. <laughs> Here, this Lutheran talk. Uh, we have to be righteous. You know, we have to we have to enact what we believe. Uh, we, I guess, if I'm going to sound like the Lutherans, I have to say we have to be sanctified. But you know, the new obedience is is prayer. It's a it's a relationship with God, which knows He can fix it. He can fix it. He can make it so our children grow up in a different land, and it can be by our hands or by you know our our heroes' hands. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'll be glad to be the king, but you know, I pray for a good one. And by that, I don't want to get a debate about monarchy. I'm just talking about whoever's up top talking. I want that guy to like to to know the difference between A and B. We can start with that, right? Hmm. And so forth. And and to pray for that, right? Let's all pray for that and believe that's that's what God wants too. He really does. You're listening to a brief history of power. You know where to find us, or you wouldn't be here. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe. Become a patron and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes. 
small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament, where the Lord's Word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional, liturgical parish may be found at blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith in the beautiful inland Northwest.